0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tell Me Where I'm Going. I'm Chris DeLuca. Now, this is the only podcast, to my knowledge, that features an original scripted story that's part of a larger whole, released every other week. And not only that, you, the audience, get to help steer the direction of the story. It's not just me. I'm serious. You, listening right now, get to influence it. The... I don't I don't know of a single other podcast that does that. So, it's pretty cool. And you can find out uh, the details about all that at the end of the episode. And we release episodes every Friday. Oh, but wait. Uh, didn't he say they release every other week? Yeah. I did say that. Keen listener. Well, I release chapters, or the original scripted stories, every other Friday. And in between, I release author updates. Because guess what? Writing takes a while. And I don't just write it, I also record it. I'm. It's a recorded medium. I have to record the sounds that's coming to your ears and I edit it I I do a lot anyway so in between there's these author updates and I kind of tell you where I'm at and what's happening Um, but this episode isn't one of those this is a story episode so you're going to get the next chapter of my ongoing story and if you're not familiar, the story I'm telling right now is about the traveling Wilberries, that rock and roll supergroup, back in nineteen eighty-eight on an imagined world tour solving crimes. Thought that was relevant? Now this is chapter three that you're going to be hearing in just a few moments. So, if you haven't heard the first episode of this podcast, you're probably going to want to go back and and take a listen to that, because otherwise you're going to be very confused. Um, I mean, maybe you like being confused. Maybe that's your thing. In which case, sure, go for it. Just keep listening to this. But if you you do like knowing what's happening and general sense of things, it's probably best to go back and, and listen to the other episodes. But before we get to that, I do want to recognize that this is Christmas. I mean, it took me this long to acknowledge that. But yes, it is Christmas. So, everyone, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. It's... the holidays are very weird this year. It's strange times, but they're upon us. Hope they're, hope they're good for you. Um... This show will be releasing through the holidays, so obviously you're, you're hearing this, Christmas Day. And uh, next Friday, New Year's Day, you will be getting the author update. Alright, think I've got all the business out of the way. So let's jump back into our story. Uh, where we last left off... The traveling Wilburys were chasing a killer clown that uh, they suspected of having uh, been implicated in the disappearance of one of their groupies, Dixie. Um, and as they ran after uh, this clown, um, the floor fell out from under them and they found themselves uh, far, far down below the, the stadium in a, uh, a kind of a basement filled with uh, stuffed animals. And uh, they, they kind of looked around, and they see this figure coming towards them. And Tom Petty, everyone's freaking out, but Tom Petty says, I know who that is, but I didn't know who that was. That, that was where I, I got stuck, and that's where I reached out to you, the audience. And that was what happened, happened last episode. And uh, through your participation, we found out that that person was Eddie Money. Now that fact happened to throw me for a loop you can hear all about that in the previous author update episode if you want to dig into that. But I figured it out. I think you're going to be very impressed with my knowledge and uh, characterization of Eddie Money. Couldn't be more flawless. It's going to be great. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy. Chapter 3 Nah, man, that's not a killer clown or a stuffed lion, said Tom Petty. I'd know that face anywhere. That's my old nemesis, Eddie Money. The whole band sighed with relief. Eddie was a generation younger than most of the band, and while he plied a glossier music than the group, he could still hang. As for being Tom's nemesis, they weren't worried. Tom was notorious for racking up countless beefs across the music industry. Brian May, Steve Perry, a teenage Mariah Carey. So another nemesis was pretty unremarkable. George smiled and patted Eddie on the back. Oh well, "'Thank my sweet lord it's you, Eddie. We thought you were a killer stuffed animal clown.' The band laughed except for Tom, who glowered, and Eddie, who remained deadly serious.
1: "'Drugs
0: are no laughing matter, guys.' croaked Eddie. You really have to be careful with that stuff, especially Blow. One bad line and you're in serious trouble. Trust me, I would know, he finished, limping towards the band. Tom Petty had already heard just about enough out of his nemesis as he could take, and it was all that he could do to stop himself from yelling at him. In fact, it was less that he could do, since he didn't stop himself and started yelling you want one to get on your high horse and lecture about drugs. You overdosed on a line of bad cocaine, damaging your sciatic nerve, and now you walk with a limp. Eddie nodded soberly. Well, that's exactly what I was referring to. Boy, did I learn my lesson. Drugs are really dangerous. Just promise me to always make sure your supply is clean before you snort up. The band nodded in agreement with Eddie's sage advice. Tom, deflated by Eddie's non-antagonism, stamped huffily to a corner, relit his joint, took a drag, kicked a stuffed animal, which activated its speech box.
1: Be like me, happy horse, and love
0: everybody! Shut up, dregs! You're supposed to tell me what I want to hear! Should we be worried about him? asked any money. "'Nah, he'll snap out of it soon enough,' replied George Harrison. "'What are you doing here, anyway?' "'And where is here?' chimed in Jeff Lynn. Well, it all started when I played a gig at the stadium upstairs last year. "'After the show, I naturally made a beeline for the Zamboni locker. "'Like most people, my primary way to relax is smoothing ice rinks. "'I was going to have the staff freeze the stadium, as if for a hockey game,' had an Olympic figure skating team to use it a bunch to scuff it up, and then let me ride a Zamboni over it to sweet, smooth, pristine ice perfection. But I'd barely gotten to the Zamboni locker door when that floor dropped out and I ended up here.
2: The same thing happened to us,
0: exclaimed Jeff Lynn.
2: Minus all the stuff about smoothing ice rinks.
0: Eddie's brow furrowed in genuine concern. You guys aren't part of Nice Ice Nation? Hold on, I have some
2: pamphlets.
0: (laughs) Interjected Bob Dylan, gracefully maneuvering the topic elsewhere without hurting Eddie's feelings. Jeff Lynn capitalized on the moment.
2: How have you survived down here for a whole year? All I see is stuffed animals.
0: Eddie closed his eyes, nodded slightly, as if patiently dealing with ignorant minds. Yes, there are many stuffed animals in this place, but that is only the surface. There are things beyond. Open your eyes, Wilburys. If you look past the stuffed animals, you will also see this door. A plain gunmetal door sat undisguised along the far wall, next to Tom Petty. The band murmured their admiration for Eddie's mystical sight. There's an entire sunken fairground down here, said Eddie, throwing open the door. Pale neon light flooded in through the opening. Follow me, gentlemen, said Eddie Money, beckoning through the door. Before anyone could move, Tom Petty turned on Eddie Money.
1: No way, man!
0: I'm not following you! Not here, there, or anywhere! Not after I followed you back in 77 at the Pantages! Tom. I honestly have no idea what you're talking about, said Eddie. Fork-tongue lies, shouted Tom, crushing his joint in anger. You know exactly what you did, Mr. Edward Joseph Mahoney, if that is your real name. Yeah, it is, replied Eddie, confused. Edward Joseph Mahoney is my birth name. Eddie Money is my stage name. "Yah-ha!" so you admit it, crowed Tom triumphantly. Enough! shouted George Harrison. Tom, I know you're famous for your beefs, but I think I speak for everyone when I say we all want to see the sunken fairground and your tirade is holding us all up. Now I can't tell you how to feel. Only Krishna can do that. But you've got to bring it down a notch, all right, mate? Tom scowled. All right, fine, he said in simmering defeat, whipping his crushed joint into the stuffed animals. Not wanting to accidentally say something that would set Tom off, Eddie motioned to the door and the group stepped through. Meanwhile, far above, Connie, Belinda, and Yuna stood in shocked silence. Before them, the door to the Zamboni locker hung ajar, revealing a totally empty room. Not even a Zamboni, which you'd think would be a given. Also, no traveling Willburys.
1: Okay, is my prescription off, or did all the traveling Wilburys vanish?
0: Asked Yuna. Connie looked at Yuna in surprise.
1: Prescription? I didn't know you wore contacts. I don't. The prescription is for my hyperthyroidism, and one of the side effects is occasional non-perception of persons. Far out,
0: said Belinda. Ah! Yuna screamed.
1: How did you get there?
0: Connie shook her head.
1: But you're right, Yuna. The Wilburys did vanish.
0: Belinda licked her lips nervously.
1: Do you think the clown got them?
0: Connie shook her head
1: again. Nah, there'd be more of a mess.
0: Belinda wasn't convinced.
1: But what if the clown is more than human? Or less? What if he's an evil spirit like the legend says, and he snatched the band off to the netherworld?
0: Connie rolled her eyes.
1: Oh, come on, Belinda. Keep your feet on the ground. I bet this is a rich rock star trick. They must have figured out some new way to get out of Dodge instantly. They're using it to get out of their promise. Now, which one seems more likely?
0: Una nodded, her hoop earrings swinging back and forth.
1: "'Yes, as much as the supernatural is always in play, "'how many times has one of these big shots ghosted you?'
0: "'Belinda drooped.
1: "'Literally every time.'
0: "'Connie gave Belinda a squeeze.
1: "'Same. "'Boy, this riles me up. "'Almost makes me want to run around with Guns and Roses. "'Almost.'
0: "'Yuna joined the hug.
1: "'I guess we're on our own, finding Dixie.'
0: "'Connie broke the hug, clearing her throat.' resolve, calcifying.
1: Right. The stadium is big, but if we stick together, keep our eyes peeled, and take it step by step, we'll find our friend.
0: Distracted, Eunice stooped and picked up a small plastic figurine.
1: Hello. What's this?
0: The figure was roughly made, the seams where the mold was used clearly visible. The face was partially melted, as if it had been held too close to an open flame. Otherwise, it looked like a nondescript Caucasian man. Belinda wiped her eyes.
1: Wow. You're pretty perceptive for someone who occasionally can't perceive people.
0: Yuna frowned with concentration.
1: This is a facsimile of a person, not an actual person. The medication can tell the difference. I wonder what it means.
0: Connie shrugged.
1: It means some kid lost their toy.
0: Belinda grimaced.
1: What kind of weird kid would have this toy?
0: While they pondered this, far below, the traveling Wilburys entered the sunken fairground. What they saw took their breath away. Or maybe it was the smell that did that. The place reeked of fossilized soft serve, permanently damp rubber, impossibly stale popcorn, oxidized iron and swamp gas. The fairground stretched out before them, rusted and crumbling, a duct-taped monkey patch away from collapse, which seemed remarkably intact for an abandoned underground amusement park. Untouched by the sun, the grounds were illuminated by light from somehow still-powered neon signs, advertising games, rides, and refreshments, casting their subjects in ghostly, multicolored hues. The skitter and squeak of small unseen animals blended with an automated voice box, occasionally triggered, employing the empty grounds to step right up. Its pitch slowed to demonic tones. Large cement pylons faded away into darkness above, along with a large creaking ferris wheel. The group stood next to a corroded water gun game, the room they had just exited presumably being the prize storeroom. Eddie shook his head, still amazed, even after being trapped down here for a year. Incredible, isn't it? It sunk into the Meadowlands after Carman Sansari, the land developer, shut the place down because he kept losing at the games. It must have broke through to a natural cavern, and they just built the
2: stadium right on top. How did you survive down here all this time?
0: asked Jeff Lynn, who was already regretting having thrown more food at the wall than he ate. Living down here can be tough, but once you get used to it, it ain't half bad. Eddie walked to a smoking trash can, opened the lid to reveal a low fire and a makeshift grill rack inside. He extracted a foul-smelling skewer spearing two small bats, half a large mole, several phosphorescent mushrooms, and a wad of cotton candy. Who knew cotton candy doesn't expire? laughed Eddie. Anyone hungry? No one was. Eddie shrugged. More for me. Well, the Aussies up. Eddie toasted the air with his skewer, made the heavy metal sign with his fingers, and bit the head off one of the bats, chewing thoughtfully as he gazed around the fairgrounds. What a crazy place. Amazing. You know, in its own way, it's kind of beautiful. The demonically slow voice said, Step right up. Again. And Jeff Lynn shivered.
2: ''I don't like this place. It gives me the creeps. Come on, fellas, let's get out of here.''
0: ''That's just the problem, Jeff,'' replied Eddie, sliding the remainder of the bat off the end of the skewer, crunching into it with heavy, practiced bites. ''We can't leave. There's no way out.'' ''Aha! Another lie!'' cried Tom, pointing accusingly at Eddie. ''Oh, come on, Tom, give it a rest,'' said George, exasperated. ''No, man, listen!'' "'There's got to be a way back because the killer clown has been here! Look!' Tom pointed to some curly green strands of hair stuck in the door jam. "'That creep fits right in down here!' he said, looking pointedly at Eddie, who shifted uncomfortably.
2: "'Yeah, that's right!' whined
0: Jeff Lynn, looking around furtively.
2: Eunice said that clown was a vengeful spirit of the fair, so maybe he can move around with his ghost powers!' But we're
0: stuck. Calm down, you scaredy cat," admonished George. With the six of us together, I'm sure we'll be able to find a way out of here. But first, we need to find that clown. Oh, forget the clown," cried Jeff, like a major wuss. Let's just
2: focus on getting out of here.
0: The band nodded in wussy agreement. "I can't believe what I'm hearing, lads," said George, pained. "What is the traveling Wilburys code?" After a moment's pause. Tom Petty reluctantly piped up. Back to basics roots rock and roll, he said. Of course, that's number one, said George. And <laughs> added Bob Dylan. Always, confirmed George. Everyone would do well to remember that one. And
2: Oh pretty woman,
0: said Roy softly. Absolutely. Can't forget that, la 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 said George. "'And?' Jeff Lynn sighed.
2: "'And we always follow a case to the end, no matter what,' he said glumly.
0: "'That's right. Glad that's settled. "'Now, Eddie, over the year you've been stuck down here. "'Have you seen a creepy-looking clown with a green curly wig "'that looks like he would attack a groupie?' "'Eddie stroked his chin, squinting, "'as if he were trying to excavate his memories with the crease of his brow. "Is not ringing a bell,' he replied. Have you seen anyone while you were trapped down here? asked George. Not at all, replied Eddie immediately. Why did you have to think about having seen a clown when you knew you didn't see anyone? screamed Tom Petty. Something fishy is going on here. I'm watching you, Eddie. All right, Tom, you'll get your wish, said George. There's a lot of ground to cover. We only have a few hours before the tour bus leaves, and you know they don't wait for anyone. So we've got to find and apprehend that clown, figure out what happened to Dixie, escape this underground carnival, and be back on the bus before early bird Earl gets behind the wheel. To pull that off, we're going to have to split up. Me and Roy will check out the Ferris wheel. Bob, Jeff, scope out the mirror maze. Tom and Eddie, you seem like you have a lot to work out, so you guys team up. What? shouted Tom. No ifs, ands, or whats, said George. It's a long shot, but I want the both of you to look around the rock-and-roll-super-death-dunk-the-clown pavilion. Fine, muttered Tom angrily. He kicked a rock, which ricocheted off a corrugated steel running board, dinged off the smoldering trash can, whizzed through the top of Bob Dylan's fro, nicked the edge of the door jamb and bounced into the stuffed animals in the storeroom.
1: Be like me! Happy horse! And love everybody!
0: Tom Petty clutched his head. Enough with the wholesome family messaging! Drugs! A short time later, Tom and Eddie walked in awkward silence, Tom hunching his shoulders and glaring at the ground, Eddie closely studying the dilapidated fairgrounds he'd seen hundreds of times already. Finally, Eddie spoke. Tom, if this is about that thing at the Pantages, I really don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't even playing arenas that big in 77. Oh, really, said Tom. Is that so? Because your memory's been awfully shaky lately. Okay, well, can't enlighten me? Tom Petty scoffed. You're telling me you have no memory whatsoever of you doing your show for an extra half hour? Because, yeah... I had dropped acid and temporarily thought I was a street vendor in Honduras, but when I came back mentally and went to get my gear to go on stage, you were taking vengeance on me for being late by peeing on my guitar? And not just the SG, but all of them? And you wouldn't lend me any of yours, so I had to play the whole show with wee wee instruments? and the entire front row was crinkling their noses and waving their hands in front of their faces. And I kept getting little shocks because the urine was shorting the electrical current in my guitar until my hair was standing on end so it stuck out of the sides of my cowboy hat like a half-crushed dandelion puff. And then when I got off stage, I found you in the green room peeing in my bowl of weed nuggets and flipping me off. And then I almost tackled you and beat you to a pulp? But instead I had a fast-acting acid flashback? And I was in Honduras again making tortas? And then you peed on those? Ringing any bells? Eddie blinked. No memory of that whatsoever. No, wait, I'm thinking of Linda Ronstadt, said Tom sheepishly. Sorry, man, no hard feelings? Eddie laughed. None at all. People confuse me and Linda all the time, he lied. By this point, they had arrived at the the rock-and-roll-super-death-dunk-the-clown-pavilion. I guess we should have a look around, said Tom. Yeah, uh, about that, said Eddie, suddenly seeming nervous. I hate to do this, but I actually need to go. Uh, I forgot to, uh, brush my teeth. Yeah, hygiene, you know, so important. Later! Before Tom could react, Eddie was gone melted away into the tangle of subterranean amusements. Tom scowled, all his anger towards Eddie instantly coming back. What's the big idea running off like that? Seems mighty fishy. I bet he did pee on my gear, even though now I recall clearly that it was Ronstadt. Surprised I managed to forget that image. Tom grabbed an ancient beanbag and whipped it at the the dunk-the-clown target, but missed by a few feet. The bag plunked sullenly into the murky tank. Petty's grumbling escalated as he found there was nothing else to throw, so he stalked over to the tank to retrieve the bag so he could re-throw it. As he reached for it, he caught a dim reflection of someone behind him in the mud and algae-clouded dunk tank water. Eddie, that brush could not have been for the dentist's recommended two minutes, he said, turning, but the words caught in his throat. Towering over him was not Eddie Money, but the clown. Sallow complexion, sunken eyes, blank expression, and bright green, curly hair. In one hand, the clown held a silver record, sharp edges gleaming. But what really stopped Tom's breath was what he held in the other. It was... Yeah, and then that's that's where I kind of lose the threat. I... I don't have an idea what what is what is in the other hand like it's obviously important again I've written myself into a corner there's there's something very important about what he's holding in that other hand and this is pivotal for the story I, I can't write without knowing that and uh <clears throat> that's where we're at so that's that's where I that's where I need your help okay it's the, the premise of this show. It's what I'm reduced to. Asking random people for how to, to fill in story gaps on, on my own story. But it's great. Okay. So how did you do that? Um, well, you just come up with an idea. Tell me what that clown is holding in his other hand. And then tweet at me. Uh, go to utmwig. That's y o u. T M W I G on Twitter. Tweet at me your your thoughts on this one, and uh, I'll I'll look through those those tweets and and I'll put them in a poll. I'll put like the best three or four in a poll, and then uh, and then you, the audience, will vote, and whichever one you pick, just like last week, I'll write in. You know, this is this is collaborative. This is shared. As much as I hate that, it's I'm sharing this with reluctantly. And who wouldn't want a piece of the traveling Wilburys solving crime? Anyway, thank you. Have a great holiday. I'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to Tell Me Where I'm Going, a Let's Hear It production. To find out more, visit letshearit.network.